I want to talk to you about something that's important. We hear an awful lot about the gospel. It's amazing how many times I hear people talk about the gospel. How important the gospel is. How precious it is. And even talk about the wonderful grace of the Lord. And grace, grace, grace. And we just had a wonderful song about grace. I was just at a meeting last two weeks ago. And they talked about it too. But they never gave it. Never gave the gospel. And that always concerned me. You might not think that that's that important. But I want to share a few things with you. Why don't you take your Bible and turn to the book of Romans in chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 is a, a verse that I want to share with you. It's found there in Romans 1.16. It's on page 1192 in one of the church Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible right there in front of you in the pew there that you're very welcome to use for the service. It says in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is the power of God unto salvation, the greatest power known to man. It is an awesome message. Some people get tired of hearing it. And probably some people get tired of telling it. How many times have you heard me give the gospel since I've been here? How many times have you seen me do that little wallet trick? It was interesting the other night I did do a little wallet trick. I set it on fire about four times. Little kids' eyes just got big, you know. Not only the little kids, the adults did too. But um, it's a wonderful illustration because every time I said the word hell, it, went, it, it flamed. But I never get tired of hearing the story and telling the story because I believe it's so important. And unless you have some people that are trusting Christ as Savior, it can be redundant to you. Get to the place where you get a little callous to it. it it's lost its fervor to you. It doesn't burn in you like it used to. Well, I just want to let you hear a few things that I've received just lately. This one says, Dear Pastor Arnold, I've been listening to your program over my summer vacation. I enjoy listening to your radio sermons. Your preaching has been a blessing and has helped me to understand the gospel. When I heard that Bible line donations were slumping, I decided to support your ministry financially. I also pray for you and your ministry often. I hope and pray that you would continue your clear preaching of the gospel in Jesus' name. But every one of them is about the gospel. Because see, they hear a lot of good preaching probably on radio, TV. And you can hear great messages from great preachers that got all the... I guess you could say, uh, you know, speaking ability that anybody could ever desire. Oratorical skills. But no message on the gospel. Talk about it, but fail to give it. I um, was just told right before service today, Ron Hall, where are you at? Raise your hand. He told me, he says, you led two people to the Lord yesterday. 
and I didn't remember it. He says, uh, they watched you give the gospel, and they both trusted Christ as their Savior. And I don't even remember. It was just 24 hours ago. But he says, I went on the internet to the YouTube where we have our little three and a half minute gospel presentation with me doing the little wallet illustration. And he set them down, his nephew and his best friend. And they sat there and they watched me give the gospel and they both trusted Christ as their Savior. Now, I didn't know that until he told me. He had to explain that to me because I didn't remember it at all. So I say, praise the Lord. And there's probably others of you that have done a little bit of the same thing. I uh, got this little note here. It says, Dear Pastor Arnold, I was listening to you teach today on pal talk concerning grace and works. Now, I don't know what pal talk is. Anybody ever heard of what, what is pal talk? Oh, that's your, that's your room. Okay, then this is a lady that was on your site. I was teaching you did today on pal talk concerning grace and works. It was the most balanced teaching I have ever heard on the subject. I plan to share it with others. I just want you to know that you are very much appreciated. This compliment coming from me is rare. I am a Torah observant believer and obey for love, not for salvation. Thanks so much for the balance and complete messages you give. So, um, did you lead her to the Lord in this pal room or what? No, that's the one I was telling you. I thought it was you. She was praising you so much. I said, is this Yankee? <laughs> I didn't hear that. Would you repeat that? You know what is, is wonderful? is it not only do I give the gospel, but my goal is to try to get you to give the gospel. In the last month, just in the last month, how many of you have witnessed to somebody in the last month? Would you just let me see your hand? Look at that. All right, put your hand up. That's because you can do it. And you can lead people to the Lord, believe it or not. See, that's what's supposed to be done. I'm not supposed to win everybody to the Lord. I want you to win people to the Lord. And I think it, uh, it will work that way. Listen to this one. I got this one yesterday. It says, hi, I've been listening to Pastor Arnold on YouTube. Now, this is a letter he sent to Calvary Community Church, so I'm supposed to read all of it. This is to y'all, too. I've been listening to Pastor Arnold on YouTube and believe he has the most precise understanding of the gospel that I've ever heard. I'd love to visit y'all's church someday, but for now, my primary residence is in New Orleans, Louisiana. And I was curious as to whether or not Pastor Yankee knew of a good church and pastor in my area that I could visit for Sunday services. I appreciate all pastors' hard work, and for the first time in my life, I know I'm saved because I believe that the blood of Christ was shed for my sins as a gift for my salvation, and I'm finally excited to spread that news with everyone. Thanks so much to Pastor Yankee and Calvary Church. So thanks to you that you allow me to be able to get on the radio or the internet, and as people that are trusting Christ as Savior. I mean, it's not, you know, I don't, I don't write these. This is, there's not jokes. They're real people 
And they're hearing the gospel, and it's opening up their eyes, and they just can't believe some of it. I had a, a man come to see me yesterday, and he met me about 10.30, and he was sitting in the library, and I'm sitting in there. He came because he was a, a guy who was going to check my heart. Well, while he was checking my heart, I was checking his. We didn't know who was going to get who first. But while I'm talking to him, and I asked him a simple little question, do you know where you're going when you die? And he says, well, I hope it's heaven. He says, I go to this one church. He says, I've been Catholic all my life. And I said, we've had a lot of people come to our church, and a lot of them are Catholic, that have heard the gospel and trusted Christ as their Savior. I took him into the room where I had uh, a picture that was put in the newspaper because a little lady back there came from a Catholic church. She trusted Christ as Savior, and then she took a whole bunch of our tracks and went back to the Catholic church and put them on all the cars in the parking lot. <laughs> raise your hand back there. She won't raise her hand. She's sitting right there in the black hair and the red shirt. And then the next thing you know, I got a call from the Catholic church. Then I got a call from the newspaper. And they put it in the newspaper and put a copy of our church track in the newspaper. And so all because one, one lady, she said, I just, they just got to hear the gospel. They just got to know. And so you'd be surprised how God can use different people in getting something like that done. I just thought that was just, just plain awesome. And um, I got this one uh, on Friday. It says, Dear Pastor, I've struggled for many years with the questions of repentance for salvation, trying to turn from sins or be sorry for sin. Until about three years ago, I decided to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for my salvation. I recently had found your messages on YouTube, and they have been a blessing to me and my wife. I do have a question, though, that bothers me from time to time. Sometime I see or hear something that gives the idea the believing on Jesus involves us having a desire to be saved from the power of sin in our life, like this quote. And then he writes me this quote. Repentance is a godly sorrow for sin. Repentance is a forsaking of sin. Real repentance is putting your trust in Jesus Christ so you will not live like that anymore. Repentance is permanent. It is a lifelong and an eternity-long experience. You will never love the devil again once you repent. You will never flirt with the devil as the habit of your life again once you get saved. You will never be happy living in sin. It will never satisfy. And the husk of the world will never fill your longings and hungering in your soul. Repentance is something a lot bigger than a lot of people think. It is absolutely essential if you go to heaven. Now, did that sound like the gospel to you? No. Now, see, so you know that. This was written by Lester Roloff, Repent or Perish, 1950s. Now, next Sunday, I'm going to cover this issue of repentance. You need to hear it. It will be good. It will be explained very good. I was just at a Sword of the Lord conference way up there in North Carolina a week and a half ago. 
And there's people who, I believe, know the Lord, love the Lord, and they want to see people saved. But don't realize the damage that they're doing when they give a misunderstanding of the word repent and adding it to the gospel where people don't understand what they got to do. And it's just devastating. But the man that I was talking to in the library yesterday, I had asked him, do you know where you're going to die? He didn't know. I says, well, let me explain it to you. So when I finally got through explaining it to him, he looked at me and he says, I see it. That is so clear. I can't believe it. I am stunned. And he said a few other words I can't remember. But he was just totally blown away. He says, I, I can't believe this. All my life, what I've heard. He says, you don't have a clue. But that was just like a ton of bricks being lifted off my shoulder. And he couldn't understand why he had never heard it before. He says, you explained it in one time better than I've heard all my life going to church. And I never understood this. He was so thrilled, so excited about it. So, well, everybody's heard this before. No, they haven't. A lot of people don't know it. He goes on and he says, I doubt that my flesh wanted to be saved from any sins. And I know it didn't want to be saved from all sin. This bothers me. And I would really appreciate you telling me what you believe the Bible says. I know you believe salvation is free and by faith. I would just appreciate it if you would help me with this. It seems so many preachers say one thing and mean something else. The part of the quote above that I'm really wanting to know about is, Real repentance is putting your trust in Jesus so you will not live like that anymore. Do you know of any church in the area of Marion, North Carolina that really believes salvation is free? We do not have a home church. This man is looking for a church, a pastor that preaches salvation by grace alone. This man is looking for a pastor, a church that preaches salvation by grace alone. You see why I want to have a college? We've got to teach some young guys how to go out and pastor church. There's people who want it. They just don't have anybody to teach it. Most of the preachers are not teaching salvation by grace alone. And so next week I will explain a little bit more about what it means. Repentance for salvation requires, requires work inspection. You have to inspect your life to see whether or not did you do the work repentance demands. Here in the book of Romans, chapter 1. The gospel is powerful. And God, in the next couple chapters, explains very clearly and very simply those that are influenced only by Creation that they see, but not the God of creation. So that there's no restraints upon their life. There is no God. They become vain in their imagination. No restraints. Do whatever you want to do. Whatever extent. Then in chapter 2, you have about man's conscience. A man's conscience that knows 
there's right and wrong. A man that knows that there's a God. He just doesn't know God. But he tries to restrain himself in certain areas of his life. So the one group, they have no restraints. Some have a few restraints based upon what they can observe. And then you have, chapter 2, verse 17, down through them, you have total restraints. The restraint upon the Jewish people, the circumcision, and they still are not righteous. So there's no restraint, little restraint based upon conscience. And then you have total restraint where they're under the law and seeking to abide by the law and they restrain themselves and a lot of do's and don'ts. So you would look at all of these people and say, well, these people are really, really bad. These people are not quite as bad. And these people are pretty good because they don't live like these people over here. So it's interesting. So take your Bible and look there in chapter 3 of Romans. In verse 4, he makes the statement, God forbid, let God be true, but every man a liar. Look up here. Let God be true, every man. He's just talking about these, though. Okay, we'll include these in. Or do we include all of them? Every man a liar. You see, when you look in chapter 1, and it talks about how bad these people are, it's like God showing you the most wicked, the vilest thing that people can do. And he says up there in verse 25 of chapter 1, who changed the truth of God into a lie, worshiped the creature more than the creator. For this cause, God gave them up to vile affections and so forth, women with women, men with men. Uh, you can say whatever you want to and say what well, the Supreme Court says and that the law says that, uh, that everything is fine and it's okay. It is not okay and it's not fine. This book has not changed. Does this mean God gave them up? So that means they can't be saved. No, God gave them up to their vile affection. He didn't say they couldn't be saved. There's times when you may cut the strings and say, okay, you kids, I've raised you for 18 years. Now you're on your own. And you gave them up to do whatever they want. It's their life. Let them do whatever they want to do. You're tired of fighting with it, and you're going to let them do it and suffer the consequences of their bad decisions and enjoy the blessings of their good decisions. Haven't you done that yet? You will. Now, here they were so bad. And then he talks about those that had a conscience. And they try to refrain themselves a little. And then you had those who had the law. See there in chapter 3 and verse 1. What advantage then hath the Jew? What profit is there of circumcision? Much every way. They had the word of God. They knew right. So just because people knew to do right, they didn't. People with conscience, knowing what's right and wrong, still did wrong. And then there's people who didn't care about what was right. They just wanted to do wrong. So, how does God judge the world? In chapter 3, look there in verse 19. Now we know that what things, so wherever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and 
all the world may become guilty before God. All the world? All of them? Everybody? Let God be true. Every man is a liar. I'm sorry. So are you. So am I. We have all failed. We've all come short of God's perfection. So you see there in verse 4 of chapter 3, this is what he said. And then you'll notice what he says down here in verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? No and no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they're all under sin. See, in the first couple chapters is the proof that everybody has sinned. Nobody is perfect. Everybody's done things wrong. When I was talking the other night to the little darlings in vacation Bible school, I said, here's God. He created the heavens and the earth, and he put people on it, and there was nothing wrong with what he made. But man sinned. Now we live in a wicked world. We got an old sinful nature. We do wicked things. So God says, this world is going to be Burn up, renovated by fire. But then there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. A new heaven. So God is only going to let into that new heaven those that want to go. You know you didn't ask to be born into this world, did you? But you showed up. Here you are. Well, I didn't ask to be born. Who did? None of us did. But we were born here without a choice. But God says, I have a heaven. It's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, a holy city. It's a place that's perfect, but it's only for those who want to go. God will not make you go to heaven. He will not force you to go to heaven. He will let you rebel, reject it, not believe it. You can do whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. You don't have to go. But he describes it for us and tells us what it's like. Now, what if this God that created this new heavens and a new earth so we could have righteousness forever and pleasures forevermore into the eternal joy of the Lord? But you have to be at least six foot tall to go. Now, you know why I say six foot. I'm six foot. What if this God would only let those that are six foot and taller get to go to heaven. Now, I don't personally see anything wrong with that. Would you have a problem with that? All right, now let's change it. Okay, what if God had said only the male gets to go to heaven? Only, only the boys and the men get to go to heaven. Now, what's wrong with that? Is there anything wrong with that? If God had said only the guys get to go, I don't see anything wrong with that. Why? Because I'm in the group. Because I'm in that group. What if he just says, only the girls? Only the girls. Now, I have no yaying down here now. <laughs> only the girls get to go to heaven. How would you like that? I don't think there's a guy in here to go for that. We already know that women won't be there. He says there was silence in heaven for a half an hour. What if God had said anybody who weighs over 200 pounds can't go? Wouldn't that be a shame? 
Or maybe you cut it down to 150. But you know, God has this all figured out. And you don't have to worry about, am I included? What God did, since he says, all have sinned. And that he so loved the world, then God would have to do something that would include everybody in the world. He can't exclude somebody because then it wouldn't be grace. Grace is unmerited, so those that are six foot can't merit because, well, I deserve to go. I'm six foot. I deserve to go because I'm a male. I deserve to go because I'm a woman. I just a joke. I just, I'm just don't, don't do it. I deserve to go because I'm underweight. No. There can't be anything. It has to be the same for everybody. All have sinned. And the Bible says that there is no difference. No difference. Look in verse 22. Romans chapter 3, verse 22. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all those that are over six foot. It's unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no what? No difference. Look up here. Here's those really bad people over here. Well, if God can't save those bad people, God can't save anybody. I've had people say, well, I can't believe. You can't tell me that Hitler could go to heaven. Saddam Hussein, they can't go to heaven. People like that are really bad. They can't go to heaven. If they can't go, you can't go. You say, well, they don't deserve it. Neither do you. No one deserves to go to heaven. You have to understand that. For the power of the gospel to be so powerful, it has to be for everybody. It can't eliminate anybody. That's what makes it good news, is that Christ died for everybody, and that everybody can have eternal life. Everybody can go to heaven, regardless of how bad you've been. So those who didn't have the law, those who only just had conscience to guide them, and those that had the word of God but didn't obey it because they never kept it perfectly. They gave them the law, but they didn't keep it for 1,500 years. So God says, they're all the same. What? You've all come short of perfection. You see, God is perfect. Heaven is perfect. Nobody is righteous. Nobody's perfect. So you look what he says here in verse 24. Being justified freely by His, what? Grace. That means that nobody, none of them deserve to be saved. Did you deserve to be saved? Well, look how good I am. You didn't deserve to be saved. Nobody deserves to be saved. Everybody has come short. Everybody fails. But the gospel is so powerful. You see, you don't have to try to bring people to church so they'll get saved. You already know the message. You already got the gospel. You can tell people this anywhere you are. Wherever you go, you can explain the gospel to people. It will work. There's power in this message. God's just looking for people to explain them. But if you don't have that courage to do that, by all means... Bring as many people to church that you want to. And, Lord willing, I'll try to make the gospel clear and simple so people can understand it and get saved. Because we're all going to die. We're going to be out of here in one of these days. 
Wouldn't it be nice to take a few people with us while we're on our way? If God gives us a little time here, let's just see how many we can win. We might not change the world. We may not change our own country. But we can still win people to the Lord. Now look what he says here in verse 28. Verse 28, very important. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by what? Faith without what? Without the deeds of the law. Without the works. Without doing something. That's why this is so important. You cannot save yourself. You see, whether or not they had the word or they lived as wicked as possible, no man deserves to be saved. You're saved by grace. Grace means unmerited favor. You didn't deserve it. So that's how God shows His love for everybody because everybody's in the same boat. Nobody is righteous. Nobody is perfect. Now, look in verse 20 of chapter 3. Where he makes the statement, therefore, therefore, by the deeds of the law. Trying to earn it, trying to work for it. You see, turning from sin is the deeds of the law. Committing your life to Christ, according to Mark chapter 10, is trying to earn salvation. That's the deeds of the law. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, body, soul, and strength. That is the commitment that some people try to get you to make that you're going to do this and live for the Lord. That's works for salvation. That's law. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be what? Justified. You see, God is just, and we're not. We're unjust. How can a man be equal with God? Where God finds no fault in the man. So God says, what I will do is give to you my righteousness. I will look at you through the eyes of my son. I will see you in him. And my son is perfect. My son is righteous. And when you are by faith alone placed in Christ, God sees you in him. Having his righteousness, not yours. Does that make a difference? Oh, yes, it does make a difference. Now, take your Bible and look there in chapter 4 of Romans. And notice what it says in verse 5. Verse 5, But to him that worketh not, but believeth. So believing is not a work. But believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. God gives you his righteousness when you put your faith in what He did on the cross for you. Look what He says down here in verse 22. And therefore, it was imputed to Him for righteousness. In other words, God's righteousness was put to His account, Abraham's account, because He believed by faith alone. Then He says in verse 23, Now it was not written for His sake alone that it was imputed to Him, but for us also, get this, to whom it shall be imputed if we keep the Ten Commandments and obey the Golden Rule and go to Calvary Community Church and pay 50%. Boy, I wish. <laughs> Not at all. If we believe on Him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. If you believe. So by simply believing what He did was for you, 
God will put his righteousness to your account. You go to heaven on what he did, not what you do. Isn't that simple? Isn't that clear? You got that? Now turn in your Bible to the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter 5. 2 Corinthians in chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look in verse 21. If this verse is not underlined in your Bible, I think you ought to underline it. Draw lines to it, a map, highlight it. It is a tremendous, tremendous verse. But look what he says. For he hath made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might be made or made the righteousness of God in him. Look up here. This is you and me. This is sin. We have sin on us. This is Jesus Christ. He's perfect. He's righteous. Has no sin. So he takes his righteousness. This is his righteousness. What God did is very simple. He says, for God hath made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. That we might be made the righteousness of God. We go to heaven on His righteousness. He gives it to me. Now, if God gave me His righteousness, that would make me as righteous as who? As God. So when God sees me, He says, I was unjust, but Christ died on the cross and paid for our sins that He might bring the unjust to God. So that's how we get to go to heaven. Now look in Philippians 3, 9. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 9. To some, these are familiar verses. To those who have maybe never heard them or not as familiar with them, it's like a light bulb that comes on. In Philippians in chapter 3, look what he says in verse 9. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. God says, be not found having your own righteousness. In other words, trusting in what you do. Do not trust your good works. Well, I go to church and I sing in the choir and I give money and I pray. That has nothing to do with going to heaven. You won't get to heaven because you do those things. No more than a man who lives in a gutter and is a wine or a drunk and off the street. You are in no better condition than he is spiritually. You're both dead spiritually. Physically, you may be a lot better, but not spiritually. You see, we're spiritually dead. We means we're spiritually separated from God. So whenever you accept Christ as your Savior, it's on the level that anybody can have it. Even little children can understand it. It was wonderful the other night talking to little kids and seeing little kids can understand what most theologians can't get through their mind. Kids get it. But you see, for He, God, made Him Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So that whenever you believe that what Christ did for you, He gives you His righteousness. This is you and me. This is sin. We've all sinned. We've all come short of God's perfection. And to go to heaven, we have to be perfect, as righteous as God, no sin. But everybody sins. 
We cannot save ourselves. It's not by the deeds of the law. Not trying to earn your way to heaven. See, most preachers are not making this clear to people. They're confusing people. Jesus Christ came into this world. He had no sin. He didn't have to die. But because He loves us, He hates our sin. Our sin separates us from the Lord. So we're spiritually dead. Sin separates us from God. So all people, regardless of how you live, whether you're really wicked over here, you've got good conscience of trying to guide your life and what you think, and so forth, or those who knew the law, and yet they're not perfect by it. Because, see, you're separated. All of us are the same. There's no difference. When you're spiritually dead, we're all the same. So we can only become spiritually alive by accepting the payment Christ made. So what did Christ do? He took our sins and He paid for it. He was my payment for my sins. So when I accept Him as my Savior, I have a payment for all my sins. He paid for all of my sins and the scars in His hands is the living proof of payment. It's a receipt. I have an eternal proof of payment, an eternal receipt. All my sins are paid. And I get to go to heaven on what Christ did. Did I deserve that? No. It's by grace and grace alone. The Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. This is the message that everyone who knows Christ as Savior needs to tell. You can do this. You can do this. You may not win everybody. Nobody does. But you might win some. Wouldn't it be better that when you get to heaven, you at least had some? You may not have had thousands, but shouldn't there be some fruit on your tree? A tree of life that you shared the gospel with somebody? Wouldn't you like that? Or you get to heaven and God says, you know, there's nobody here because of you. You never led a soul to Christ. Didn't even try you never gave to missions. You never gave to anything that would win souls. You went to church, but you never gave. You just, on the sideline, you didn't make anything happen. Use the power of your life, the power of your influence for this message. That's why I want you to pray for the college, that we can have kids that will learn how to give the gospel. So many people don't, and we can't take it for granted. We've lost some good people that were clear on the gospel. Dr. Stanford was excellent. Hank Lindstrom was one of the best. You're talking about some people that are no longer here. But we still got to have people take their place. Do you pray for the college? That they have a place to stay? That they have the finances they need? You know what I had? I kept thinking yesterday, I was sitting in the office. I wish we had a little bit more money for the college. Because we got some kids that come and we don't have really much money to work with, even for the college teachers or anything. And yet some of them have sold their homes and come here so they can help us. And here we have a great opportunity. And this morning the guy gave me an envelope, had a check in for the college, $3,000. Isn't that wonderful? Friday I was sitting in my office, I think it was Friday, and I was thinking, Lord, I'm so thankful for the total amount that we have that comes in for the church and the various ministries. But the budget has been down. And when the budget is down, that puts a, a, a noose around our neck. Something has to be cut. And I'm sitting there thinking, Lord, I, 
it sure would be nice if somebody could just come along. And somebody came to the door, and next thing you know, came into my office. and You won't believe me. He gave me an envelope with some money in it. Just cash. And so I said, thank you, and God bless you. He didn't want any credit for it. He, he didn't even really want to give me his name. He says, this is for the Lord. And I didn't want to ask him how much. I couldn't wait for him to leave so I could find out. <laughs> so I, who wants to know? It was about, somewhere around $2,500, wasn't it, in cash. Just in cash. So me and Dr. Paulson went to Burger King. <laughs> but something so simple, we just thank the Lord for all he's done for us. And uh, we have to live by faith, trusting the Lord that he's going to work through his people, the people who care what we're doing. And so I want a lot more of these letters, that people are being influenced because of the clear gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray, shall we? Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you put your trust in Him? Would you say, I don't understand it all, but I believe Christ died and paid for my sins. And I'm going to put my confidence in what He did on the cross for me. And friend, if you'll trust Him, He will save you right now and give you eternal life. I'm not going to have you forward. I'm not going to embarrass you. But right where you're sitting, say, Preacher, that made sense to me today. And I want to know that I'm going to heaven. So I will accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I'd like you to pray for me. Would you just slip your hand up very quickly and put it right back down? Is anyone at all? Anyone at all? You've already trusted Christ. You don't have to do it again. But you are in possession of the greatest story in the world. The greatest power is in your hands. Let people know what God has done for them. Father, we thank you so much for this time together. We're thankful, Lord, that as your children, we can have a communion service where we simply are thankful for what you have done for us, that you took our sins upon your body and paid for them. And that, Lord, you shed your blood because the life of the flesh is in the blood. And you shed your blood in order to make that payment for our sins. You gave your life for us so that we could have eternal life. And we're thankful for that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.